Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to A Minute with Coach Riggs. Former T.R. Miller head football coach Jamie Riggs shares his views on all aspects of football after a 40-year Hall of Fame high school career. Coach Riggs and his guests will discuss the latest on the local high school and college teams, the current issues that are dominating high school, college, and NFL football, as well as reliving some of the classic moments and history of the game with the people that made it happen. This is A Minute with Coach Riggs. Hello there to everyone, and I want to welcome you to A Minute with Coach Riggs. And what I want to do today is I want to kind of go back and um, go to the old T.R. Miller football vault, and I want to go back to a time that uh, uh, no one much uh, (laughs) around still remembers. I want to go back to 80 years ago uh, to um, uh, to 1941 and talk about an event that went on dealing with uh, Miller football, and that event was something that we, we have every year, and that was a football banquet. Now, as coaches, I wasn't always crazy about banquets, but it was one of those necessary evils. But the T.R. Miller football banquet of 1941 was a very, very interesting affair, and I just wanted to kind of talk about it a little bit today and, and, and so you can kind of understand what the backdrop was, what was going on at this time in the lives of these young men who were 15, 16, 17, 18 years old at the time and uh, what all was, was going on. So with me, I have a clipping of the 1941 banquet written up by the Bruton Standard. In a few minutes, I want to cover that clipping with you because they do a great job explaining what what happened at the banquet and so forth. The coach of T.R. Miller in 1941 was Coach Ben McLeod. Coach McLeod spent five years uh, coaching Miller, and he's responsible for a couple of things that are kind of interesting in the history of T.R. Miller. Uh, We will actually do an episode on Coach McLeod uh, sometime, but... One of the things that is really interesting about Coach McLeod is that he was the first coach to coach Miller to an undefeated football season. That was 1941. They had a great, great football team. And, again, we'll talk about that when we get around to great teams, but they were a tremendous uh, football team. The other thing that he's responsible for is he is actually responsible for our colors. And, again, we'll talk about that some other time, but – Let's just put it this way. If it wasn't for Coach McLeod, there's a really good chance that we may not be wearing red. So, uh, again, we'll talk about that at at some other point in time. The 1941 team went 8-0. They played eight games because they couldn't find anybody else to play. They had a really good team in 1940. And in 1941, it's on the very best players coming back. Everybody knew they were going to have a great team. And just like it is for any school these days has great football, they have a hard time getting games sometimes. And so where they could have played ten games, they only played eight games that year, and they did win them all going 8-0. and So this banquet was about three weeks after the end of the season. And in those days, things were a little different. Uh, they didn't start school till a week or so after Labor Day. 
football season didn't start till the the first games were played at the end of September, and usually you played all the way till Thanksgiving. Uh, I think in this case they got through on the 14th of November that year because they didn't the the last week of the season they didn't have a game they couldn't find anybody to play so they only ended up playing eight games now there's no playoffs in those days or anything like that and so you just played your regular season then once the regular season was over you know they start practicing basketball they start playing basketball sometime down there you know the second week of december or something play the christmas tournaments they play basketball till you know um uh the probably the the tournament uh, took place basketball tournament the the district and uh, state tournaments took place uh, in March. And then after all that got done, then they would play baseball to finish out. There were no girls sports. And that was pretty much most of a small school. That pretty much was the way things were handled. One other thing that's a little interesting about those days is, you know, T.R. Miller was a smaller school than it is today. Uh, T, uh, the, the city of Brute was a smaller city. And even though all of that occurs, um, most small towns uh, had one coach, and that was the, the, the situation at T.R. Miller. They hired one coach, and he coached football, he coached basketball, uh, he coached baseball, he coached the whole deal. So it helped to have a coach uh, had knowledge at other sports, and certainly Coach McLeod did. He was an outstanding athlete at the uh, University of Alabama. But when he was hired in 1937, uh, T.R. Miller was not a very good football team, but each year they got better. And I think he went from something like three wins to four wins, and eventually he had um, two, te- uh, two years where they won seven games, and then finally in 1941 uh, they won eight games. The, the Miller got better year after year after year uh, when he was in charge. So this banquet took place at the end of the 41 season on Friday, December 5th, 1941. So again, you historians out there recognize the the importance of the date. So this is the Friday before Pearl Harbor was attacked on Sunday. So again, all these young men know that at some point in time in the near future, they're probably going to be overseas fighting this war that is coming. And so uh, this is two days before Pearl Harbor. So I, what I want to do is I want to read the article to you and and because it's got some interesting things in the article, and a lot of this you'll recognize, particularly some of you older people may recognize some things. He lists the folks that won uh, letters that year, and some of those names will be familiar names. And some of these guys, quite a few of these guys, were involved in World War II. Uh, not only were they involved, uh, some of them lost their lives in World War II. This is the T.R. Miller Football Banquet of 1941, and the headline on the article on the front page of the Bruton Standard said, Banquet given Friday night in honor of Millers. You have to understand that uh, when T.R. Miller became T.R. Miller High School in 1926, uh, before that they'd been Bruton Collegiate Institute, and, and our teams were known as the Millers. We were known a lot of times as the Brute Millers. Back in those days, and really all the way up to the 1950s, a lot of small towns in, in South Alabama, Northwest Florida, had what well, I guess we would refer to almost as semi-pro baseball teams. But there was an Alabama-Florida league, and a lot of the smaller towns had their own baseball teams. If you've ever been to, like, give an example, if you've been to the stadium in Op, 
you know that down there in the corn Andalusia was this way for a number of years you've got a, a covered area down there. that's where home plate was and this was a stadium that they played baseball in back in the 30s 40s and so forth so the semi-pro baseball team that played out of Bruton was known as the Bruton Millers. So a lot of times, even though eventually when the name of the school became T.R. Miller and eventually we adopted the mascot of the Tiger, we were known as the Millers. That name stuck. So it wasn't uncommon for someone to refer to the, the high school teams, whether it was football, basketball, baseball, whatever, as the Millers. So it says banquet giving Friday night in honor of the Millers. And then right underneath that is a smaller headline. It says, University coach, principal speaker at a fair as a tribute to McLeod and boys. And so by university coach, they meant the head football coach of the University of Alabama, who at the time was Coach Frank Thomas. Now let me give you a little information on who Frank Thomas was. If you go back to the long history of football at the University of Alabama, this is well over 100 years. If you asked who the two greatest football coaches were in the history of the University of Alabama, uh, I would say about 98% of people could probably answer that question, and that is uh, obviously Coach Paul Bear Bryant and Coach Nick Saban. If you had to pick a number three guy, it would have to be Frank Thomas. All right, Frank Thomas was a graduate of Notre Dame. He played football at Notre Dame under the great Newt Rockney. And so he decided after his playing career that he wanted to go into coaching. All right. And so he started out as an assistant at um, the University of Georgia. He spent a couple of years there. And he got the head coaching job at Chattanooga. And that wasn't unusual in those days for men to, you know, to get out of, of playing, go into coaching, and within two or three years be a head football coach somewhere that just – just wasn't um, uh, uncommon in those days. So he spent uh, a couple of years uh, at Georgia. He went and took the head football coaching job again at um, Chattanooga, spent a few years there, and was hired as the head football coach at the University of Alabama. All right. He was hired in 1931, and he would spend 16 years coaching Alabama. And although Alabama had had some excellent success in the 1920s, going to the Rose Bowl, which was a thing in those days. Going to the Rose Bowl, winning the Rose Bowl. The Tide had gone to a number of other bowl games. There weren't many bowl games in those days. The Alabama teams had had some success in the 1920s. All right? But it was Frank Thomas who took over in 1931 who led them to even greater success. And success uh, in those days were, was mostly about going to the Rose Bowl, winning the Rose Bowl, and you could win a, a national championship because national championships were voted on. He did all of those things. He won four SEC titles. He won national championship. Uh, he was in uh, – his teams were in three Rose Bowls. He won two of them. In addition to that, he was also the coach of the legendary Bear Bryant in the 1930s. So this is a man who in 1941 still had – you know, about four or five more years to coach at the University of Alabama, and he was a big name. For him to come to a small town like Bruton and speak at their banquet was a big deal. I mean, it was a really, really big deal. 
and so there was a tremendous crowd that night, and they make mention of this in the article. So, but that's kind of who Frank Thomas was, and uh, Frank Thomas himself um, uh, was probably loved loved Tuscaloosa, loved the University of, University of Alabama. Probably would have stayed and coached longer, but he had some failing health. Can find pictures of Coach Thomas on the sideline. Uh, he's usually smoking a cigar. So he was a heavy smoker, and so by the mid-1940s, he's having health issues, um, heart and lung disease, and obviously the things that we know today and the procedures and the surgeries and things we have today, uh, they didn't have in in those days. And actually, Frank Thomas would pass away in uh, 1954 at the age of, uh, I think he was 55 years old is all. Uh, just a completely different time, and certainly a different time when it came to health. And that night, he is the principal speaker. Why is he in Bruton? He's in Bruton because Ben McLeod, the head coach at Miller, played at the University of Alabama. He was not only a football player, but a basketball player and a baseball player, which was not unusual for good athletes in those days. Coach McLeod had gone to Alabama, been, a, been an excellent athlete up there, and when the Bruton City Schools were looking for a head coach. And, and at Miller, they only had one coach, so he was the head coach. When they were looking for a coach, uh, it wasn't uncommon in those days for them to pick up the phone and call one of the universities and ask, who do you have coming out who has played football or has, uh, has knowledge of other sports that we could hire as a coach? And when the president of the Bruton City Board of Education did that, he was given the name of Ben McLeod, and he was given that name um, with the high recommendation of Coach Frank Thomas. That's the reason Coach Thomas is in Bruton, because one of his finest players, Ben McLeod, finest athletes up there, um, was coaching at T.R. Miller. So let's start with the article. It says, with the largest attendance ever recorded for such an affair, the annual banquet honoring Coach Ben McLeod and the 1941 Miller High football squad was held in the main dining room of the Loveless Hotel on last Friday evening. Now, for you older folks, you know where the Loveless Hotel was. For the rest of you folks, the Loveless Hotel uh, was located exactly where the main branch of the Bank of Bruton sits today. When I was growing up in Bruton and I was a very young, five, six, seven years old in the early 60s, the Loveless Hotel was still operating. And I believe around 1964, they closed the hotel and the Bank of Bruton bought the building and they basically moved their operations from, they were right next door, they moved their operations over there and remodeled that area and so forth. I can remember as a, as a kid, I'm, I don't know, I'm six or seven years old maybe, going uh, with my my, my parents and going into the Loveless Hotel and a photographer had come and uh, we we went in there and had our picture made, you know, family photo or, or we had done that. And I remember going into this, what they call the ballroom here or the, the, the big dining room there and uh, in the Loveless Hotel and having our picture made. But this is where that they had uh, the, the banquet that night. All right. And the next paragraph says, uh, this recognition of the appreciation of the entire city of the work of the coaches and players who brought Bruton its first 
championship football team in more than 20 years of football here was featured by the initial appearance before a Bruton audience of Coach Frank Thomas, the famous coach of the University of Alabama Crimson Tide, who was also the principal speaker of the evening. Now, if, if Nick Saban came to um, Bruton and spoke, it would be a big deal. I mean, I got it. But you have to understand that, that 1941, this is several years before we had television. We did have radio, and the, the, the games, the Alabama games were on the radio, as were the Auburn games. And, you know, they were on the radio, and so people listened to that. Majority of people never went to a college football game. Certainly there were a few people around Bruton who would, who would go to a game occasionally. But in those days, and this is, you know, just a few years um, um, after the 1930s and the Depression and so forth, just wasn't a lot of money out there. And people didn't spend a lot of money, didn't travel near as much. The roads weren't what we have today. And they were a little more careful with their money and all. They didn't do a lot of traveling and, and things like that. So there weren't very many people in Bruton. There were certainly some, but not very many people in Bruton who had been to a University of Alabama game and they had seen Frank Thomas's picture in the newspaper. But for him to come to Bruton, this was you know, a true celebrity coming to the city of Bruton. Coach Thomas was the principal speaker. It says, Coach Thomas brought with him Two of the South's outstanding football players, captain and all-Southeastern guard John Wahonick and the fullback Paul Spencer, both of the University of Alabama. It had previously been announced that All-American Holt Rast tied end and all-Southeastern Conference Jimmy Nelson tied halfback would also attend the banquet, but they sent their regrets. They were not able to, to attend. Rath was detained at the University of Alabama doing some scholastic work while Nelson took advantage of the only opportunity that he would have before the New Year's Day bowl game to visit his parents in Live Oak, Florida. And I just think it's great. They not only they weren't able to come but they gave specific reasons as to why they didn't come, and we printed them in the paper, and I just like that. You know what? That's good communication. You know, why did these guys not come? Well, one of them got tied up with his schoolwork, and one of them went on home to visit his parents uh, while he had a chance. All of the four players will take part in the Cotton Bowl game against Texas A&M and will get no time away from school during Christmas. So they um, uh, did have an outstanding year, 1941, Alabama did, and they went to the Cotton Bowl. Again, there weren't very many bowl games in those days. Going to Cotton Bowl was a big deal. And they were playing Texas A&M, and as it turns out, some four weeks later, uh, Alabama would defeat Texas A&M 29-21 in what would, I guess, be the 1942 Cotton Bowl. And, and by the way, um, and they're, they're true about time and that kind of thing. You know, um, uh, they would be finishing up school in December. Then they would start practice for the bowl games. And usually around Christmas, they would give everybody some time off and they would get to go back to their, their homes and their families. You have to also remember that in those days, um, most of the players, not all of them certainly, most of the players were from Alabama, 
in the southeast and surrounding states. Certainly they occasionally did have a player from Texas or they had a player from Kansas or Maryland or somewhere. But usually they had some kind of tie to the University of Alabama, if that was the case. Um, uh, even uh, Coach Bryant, uh, he was from Arkansas. The great Don Hudson was from Ar- Arkansas, who also played with Coach Bryant back in the 1930s. So the coaches would go out into some of the other southern states and recruit players. But it's nothing like it is today where they can recruit nationally. Most of the players were, were from around the area. Next, it says the university coach spoke briefly but most interestingly, to his large and enthusiastic audience, he paid high compliment to Ben McLeod and congratulated him on the excellent record that the Bruton team had made during the past season. Coach Thomas referred to McLeod as an outstanding athlete at the university and in 1937, and that added that, and when asked, recommended the local coach to Bruton. And he did that on account of his athletic skills and also the fine influence that he knew that McLeod would have on young boys. I am proud to say, Coach Thomas edited, that my recommendations have been justified in every particular, meaning that he recommended Coach McLeod to the Burton City Board of Education, and it was pretty obvious that um, that he had made a good recommendation. Thomas devoted much of his talk to a review of football in the Southeastern Conference, stressing the high type of sportsmanship that had been developed at Alabama as, as well as elsewhere during the past 20 years. He pointed out that football teams in this section have improved to the point well, they compare favorably with other conferences throughout the country. Now, in those days, football in the East and the North and the Midwest, we're talking about uh, Ohio and Michigan and, and uh, Pennsylvania and all, was considered to be better football than what was played in the South. Okay, now obviously today that's a different matter, but that was considered to be the very best. Football and Southern football was looked down upon some. So, Coach McCle- uh, excuse me, Coach Thomas is just commenting on this that hey, we can now play with everybody, and they had pretty much proved that by going out to the Rose Bowl and defeating those a lot of those teams out from the West. He said that all teams now have better coaching, and each gets its sh- uh, share of good material. He said. And the team that wins the championship these days seems to be the one that gets the breaks. He mentioned particularly the breaks in regard to injuries and compared the Alabama team of 1934, this was one of their national championship teams, which went to the Rose Bowl with his 1941 squad. There was not a game in 1934 when I could could not start any 11 first-string men, he said, while during the past season, there was not a game in which I could start what I considered to be the 11 best men on account of injuries. Now, rules were different in those days in, in several different ways, and one of them was about substituting. Part of the, the rules in those days is you could only substitute people at the end of a quarter unless there was an injury. 
And so truly, people play 11 guys. So so your offense, you're out there with your offense, okay, it came time to say you're going to punt. Those 11 guys stayed out there and punted. And then when you went to defense, those same 11 guys stayed out there and played defense. Now, you're, you're playing more than 11, uh, but because they would substitute at times for different reasons. Your starting 11 played on both sides. That was just kind of pretty common in those days. They would eventually change substitution rules to allow you to get people in and out um, at any time. Following Coach Thomas, Coach Ben McLeod was introduced and given a tremendous ovation. The local mentor expressed his appreciation of the support that the entire town had given him and complimented his players on the fine effort that, that they had put forth throughout the 1941 season. He thanked Coach Thomas and the two university players who accompanied him here for honoring Bruton with their presence and with their presence and presented each of them with a gift from the Bruton team as a remembrance of their visit. So we gave them a gift. That was that was great. Uh, Coach McLeod then awarded letters to the following members of the 1941 team. Now, before I do this, just understand that, you know, all the years I coached and so forth, if you came, you played on the team, the varsity football team throughout the year, you were a letter winner as far as we were concerned. No matter how much you played, no matter what you ever started a game, didn't matter, we lettered. And that was pretty much the way it had been done. Sure, it was done that way when I was in high school. Uh, they took letter winning differently back in, in earlier days. And on most teams, you had to participate in so many quarters in order to get a letter. And so they would go back and, and keep up with that. And and if you had played in that many quarters, then you were a letterman. So we, we used to read articles sometimes. They'd say, well, you've got so many letter winners coming back. Okay, That really meant something because it meant they were – uh, playing in the games and playing a pretty good bit in the games. If the only time you were sub and you only ever got into the game when, you know, the thing was out of hand, and chances are you didn't play enough quarters in order to be a letterman. You were on the team, but you weren't clear to be a letterman. So that's why this list is not a list of, you know, if they had 30 guys on the team, then this is not a list of 30 people. It's a list of the guys who played enough to be able to call letter winners. So I'm going to read out. Uh, this list, and as I read out this list, you're gonna, if you've been in Bruton for a long time, you're gonna hear some familiar names. Uh, some of you will have known uh, some of these individuals. Uh, they lived in Bruton, probably some of them their whole lives. Obviously, some of them left and went other places, but some of them lived in Bruton their entire lives. Their children grew up here. Their children went to school at T.R. Miller. Their children play. Some of their sons played football at T.R. Miller. Some of their daughters may have been cheerleaders or whatever, but they grew up here in Bruton with their with their children. Some of these folks did participate uh, in World War II, and as I said before, there were some who lost their lives in World War II. So you will recognize a lot of these names. Uh, if you've been around Bruton for very long, you'll recognize some of these names as I go through them. Most great football teams have at least – one good player, as I said before, and the number one guy on the 1941 T.R. Miller football team um, was the first name listed, 
and that was Hosey Rogers. So Hosey Rogers was well over six feet tall. He weighed 190 pounds. Uh, he could run. That would be good physical stature for 2022. In 1941, some 80 years ago, this was something that all the colleges were interested in. He'd been playing for a number of years, had been outstanding. Um, we, we look at him mostly as a runner, although at times he's really playing the position like it's quarterback. He's throwing passes. They were on the single wing in those days, and the, which is pretty much like lined up in the shotgun today. And he was a guy that snapped ball to most of the time. He would run it. He spent a lot of time running it himself. He might hand it off somebody else, you know, or he would occasionally throw a pass. And obviously, you can probably figure out in 1941, they didn't throw a whole lot of passes. But he could he could do all of that. And so he was the, the star of the team who eventually signed a scholarship with, yes, you guess who, the University of Alabama. And I'm sure he got some influence probably to, to do that. And we, we may venture into that one day as we uh, talk to um, those who knew uh, Hosey Rogers and about his career and so forth. Uh, the next name on the list is W.J. Monk. W.J. Monk was a little scat back, um, about 160 pounds or so, that could fly. He could really go. He made the All-State team as a junior and as a senior, although he was injured part of his senior year and was a truly outstanding football player. And he and Rodgers became uh, quite a one-two punch. All right, so I'm going to go through this list and, and let you read some, uh, listen to some of these names. Uh, Mr. Jack Taylor, who's still with us today in Bruton. Wink Altman. Richard Jernigan. Hamp Jernigan. John Odin Luttrell. Hayes Martin. Earl Robertson. Bruce Long. Uh, by the way, Mr. Bruce, which, you know, his family all grew up here and uh and he lived uh his, his life here in bruton um at one point in time was even the head coach at ws neal for uh, a time uh mr bruce long also played at troy he not only played at troy he was a starter at troy uh for several years over there as, as a lineman mr Busey garrett howard robertson pete snyder Jim Gillis, Jack Martin, and a manager's letter to Philip Bradley. And Philip Bradley would be a good quarterback uh, for T.R. Miller um, in the in the late forties down there as well. So they finish up with this. The program was concluded with a showing of the complete film in color of the recent Alabama. Georgia Tech game in Birmingham. Now you can imagine, not only did, if you attended the banquet, not only did you get to sell those young men and, and, and honor them and listen to them talk about the season and so forth, you got the head football coach at the University of Alabama talking about football in the South and bragging on your, your head football coach and his team. And then you got to watch film of the game. Now, again, no TV. They listen to games on the radio, but you have to figure that this film might have been, certainly was, in a lot of cases, 
the first college football that a lot of those people in that room had ever seen. They had heard uh, and followed Alabama and Auburn and some of the other teams maybe, but they had never seen games. They had seen pictures that might be printed in the newspaper, but they never had seen uh, a film or, or been to a game. And so this was a, a pretty good deal. So I don't know how much they charge for the tickets for that, for that banquet. I have to look that up. But um, uh, this, was a, this was well worth your money. And then it says, finally it says, this was made even more interesting by the comments and explanations which were given by Coach Thomas during the presentation of the picture. So not only did you get to watch film, you got the head football coach of the University of Alabama explaining it to you. So I don't know what time they went home that night. There's no mention of what they had to eat there at the hotel. There was a restaurant there at the hotel. What they had to eat and what went on. But I guarantee you, everybody left there that night feeling really, really good and excited about what they had just seen. And like we said, less than 48 hours later, the start of World War II as the Japanese bombed Pearl Harbor on uh, on Sunday with the banquet being on Friday night. So uh, just kind of an interesting um, uh, scenario there. And and life changed for, for everyone uh, on that Sunday. And a number of these guys would go on uh, by the, some of them joined the service even before their their uh, school got out, their senior year. Uh, some of them would uh, marry uh, before that. Uh, several of them ended up, as we said, uh, in the service. Um, and Coach Ben McLeod had coached his last football game at T.R. Miller. He joined the service, went into the Navy. When the war ended in 1945, uh, he stayed in the service there and never went back into coaching. He ended up spending most of his life in uh, Pensacola and lived in Pensacola. And um, even back several years ago when I was coaching, uh, uh, he used to come up for homecoming sometime. I remember him introducing uh, himself to me one of my first years when I was at, at Miller. And um, then he would come up. And in those days when a number of the, his guy, the guys that he had coached were still living, uh, he came up visited with them they would have lunch and and talk and uh probably i don't know a decade or so ago uh, they uh, brought him by the, they brought him by the field house one day and they all toured the field house and went through that at one time he was the oldest he lived to be nearly 100 years old um passed away in like 2010 uh, but coach mcleod one time was the oldest living University of Alabama football letterman. And they did a nice article on him, um, I think, in the Mobile Press and uh, with color picture and everything. And he he uh, talked about, you know, his career and what had gone on and that kind of thing. So uh, he was a spectacular person who um, really is credited with some of the great success that we had in football at T.R. Miller in those years. But Unfortunately, he never went back into coaching, never never, never did that. But the guys who played for him, I always thought uh, a lot about him. So like I said, we'll talk a little more about Coach McLeod at some other time. So hope you enjoyed digging back into the vault here a little bit of the 1941 football banquet at the Loveless Hotel in downtown Bruton, Alabama. Thanks for joining. See you next time. This has been a minute. 
with Coach Riggs.